genre. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. One future. Yeah. Future. <laughs> One future vision filled minute at a time. <laughs> I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And joining us again today is Cleolinda Jones. Hello. Hey guys. Hello. Thank you for coming on again. Again. <laughs> it was a long journey. Gosh. To come back once again. I know. <laughs> yes. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about minute 163, which starts with Frodo uh, approaching the mirror and ends with Frodo staring at the eye in the mirror just as the ring is starting to slip out of his shirt. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning of tomorrow. So uh, I have a couple of notes about the very beginning of this minute, which is uh, kind of a funny thing to do with the set building. They built this set. And then when they were going to start filming, someone realized that the plinth that the basin is on, the mirror, was as tall as Elijah Wood is in real life. <laughs> but they had kind of accidentally designed a tree root into the base that he could step up on. Nice. But they oh. designed this forgetting that Elijah Wood was going to have to look down into it. That's really funny. <laughs> and they just magically had a tree root in it and yeah like oh well problem well, solved. he can step up on this <laughs> that so, works like they built it and then someone was just like isn't this too tall <laughs> you you think Which they I would think have the whole measurement the measurement thing down at that point but but no right <laughs> i mean when you make so many sets i mean an oversight is going to happen somewhere. Can you imagine being the person who designed it and like, oh, yay, it's finished. And then your coworker is like, hey, isn't that a little too tall? I think my heart would stop. <laughs> would just be like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> what? What did I do? <laughs> Shut up. Just get a saw. We'll work it out. It's fine. Right. <laughs> and they had to build two sets of so many things. Pairs, you know, big and small. Mm -hmm. I can, I can see how... Things would get a little mixed up now and then. Just <laughs> so, get taller, Elijah. Just I know. Just work it out. Bit. <laughs> right? Because he's got to look down into the mirror. Otherwise, this doesn't work. Somebody get him a step stool. He'll yeah. Be fine. <laughs> right? You know, when I, when I read the book as a kid, for some reason, I never really pictured looking down into the water, even though I'm pretty sure that's the way it's described. Mm -hmm. I always kind of imagine a vision appearing just above the water of you seeing what's happening. And I always thought that that was like a really interesting kind of way of thinking about that effect. Hmm. No, it's definitely, it's definitely in the water. Yeah. Because she says twice, like, don't touch the water. Yeah. And it, it talks about how the, the mirror, um, it's like dark, the surface of the water is dark and then it clear. It's like a pensive. Yeah. Harry Potter. Like, you know, it, it's kind of murky and then it clears up and then the visions start. Right. But you know, sometimes like when you picture something from a book, it's not always exactly how it's described. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know, maybe the way that I was trying to process the idea of seeing something in water other than a reflection was like, if it was a more spectacular kind of effect. 
What, like in The Lion King when Mufasa just comes out of the clouds? <laughs> right, yeah, sure. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, why not? Uh, it's just the Shire on fire in the clouds. <laughs> just, uh We also get to see here uh, the kind of paranoid over-the-shoulder glances from a couple weeks ago. Mm. Uh, minus Gimli, because apparently they didn't want to reuse that shot because... They didn't like the look of the makeup like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Because it's an early test of the makeup. So that these paranoid glances are from a scene that was cut in the theatrical, but is back in the extended. So when you watch the extended edition of the movie, it's very watch, this feels very redundant yeah. here. But that's because it's showing part of a scene that was cut in the theatrical, but they still wanted to use some of the shots to establish the paranoia. And the music here is like really faded out. There's just kind of, there's a really airy kind of cave-like sound quality to the music over this vision, mm -hmm. which I think really helps with the, the tone. Well, and even then, I, I don't even mind the repetition because it's, the mirror is almost on purpose presenting him a series of images to lead him to a conclusion and we're starting off with by the way you are so alone you are so isolated and alienated even within a group of people mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like you're in this on your own and then subsequently you can't afford to mess this up do the math and that's what you come up with maybe you need to split off so I kind of see it's like let's show this to you again but in a slightly different context or have him think about right. it yeah because he doesn't have the time to process all those looks in the scene on the flat because boromir tries to comfort him for the death of gandalf right and it kind of breaks him out of that moment i also think it's cool that we see something at least in the extended edition that we've seen before so it really underscores the fact that like this just happened. Remember that this just happened. And then we're going to see some images that we're not sure if they've happened already or if they're going to happen or what the yeah. status of those is. So it, it throws the whole, um, the Shire, like the, the burning of the Shire and everything yeah. into more doubt. Because in, in like the book, because Sam is the one that has the vision of the Shire, like the mill. Yeah. And he immediately is like, I need to go home. There's all this stuff that's happening. I need to I need to help out my dad. He got like thrown out of his house. I need to help Rosie yeah. and I need to help all these people because they're just cutting down trees and just making a mess of everything. Yeah. And Galadriel's like, Well, you know, I did say that these things haven't happened yet or they might not even happen. Yeah. Um, so it I She's like trying that. to calm Sam down in the yeah. book. Yeah. Before he makes a rash decision himself. But then here, like, that look that she gives Frodo when he's gasping in horror, I think she's kind of egging him on a little bit. Yeah. Because, uh, I don't know, it's very hard to tell. Her face is, she has a really good poker face. Yes. I would <laughs> want to play poker with Kate Blanchett, because she'd probably win. <laughs> Just imagine, like, at the, at the world poker table with the sunglasses. <laughs> Just She's Kate just Blanchett. dressed as Galadriel. Yeah. <laughs> Elf ears and all. Yeah. Perfect. Oh my god. <laughs> it's also interesting, though, because you can't 100% say what everyone was thinking the first time they looked at him. I mean, maybe, maybe it was pity. Maybe it was 
freaked out or, you know, Mm -hmm. I hope we get out of this. I mean, whatever it was, but now we've recast it as he is probably definitely reading this as disapproval on their part. It's now a, a paranoid replay of what may have been more innocent the first time around. So I can I can kind of I, I think it plays better with that scene out maybe, but it doesn't kill me if you keep it in, you know. Yeah, yeah. It it just feels a little redundant because they're it's about seven minutes apart. Yeah, it's like it's like ten or so I think I don't remember. But I mean that's fine. Yeah. Previously still, on, right? <laughs> it still it still accomplishes what it what it sets out to accomplish because that scene was filmed originally to plant the seeds of paranoia for Frodo. Mm-hmm. And then they obviously just decided to use it here instead of the full scene to underscore the paranoia. And it still works, even if you still see that full scene. Well, I it think just it just kind of feels too fast. I almost. don't know. Like, I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't even know if I find it repetitive because the thing about like paranoia or like anxiety even like you replay the same thing in your head like hundreds and hundreds of times and every time it's worse mm-hmm. you know like oh like i messed up giving an order for something like at some restaurant or whatever and yeah. then like it's not a big deal and nobody cares but your brain is like hey we're gonna relive this over and over again until it's like the worst thing that has ever happened <laughs> to you so i think that really helps to underscore his paranoid state too yeah. like his because friends he looks in the mirror and the first thing he sees is this thing that made him uncomfortable right a few hours again. ago and like, now it's just like oh god i have to remember this again even not this again yeah it's like all oh, your friends are looking at you but why are they looking at me like did i do something wrong like what's happening like do they hate me right. you know i have i have questions about what magic makes the mirror of Galadriel function? Because in many ways, elf stuff. I don't it know. <laughs> feels really similar to a palantir. <laughs> yes. And I question whether or not the Eye of Sauron being able to disrupt and mess with Frodo in this scene, at least in the movie, is supposed to make us feel like when the mirror is being used and the Ring of Power is there. Sauron can see Frodo in that moment for real. He actually sees him. I was wondering that. I was not into. I mean, the ring goes towards it. Like, it's real, you know? Like, yeah. Gladriel, was this the best idea, maybe? <laughs> but I mean, even if Sauron could see the ring in that moment, even if he can see Frodo, does he know where he is? Um, well, I don't think so and the reason i don't think so is because that scene basically happens like word for word in the book yeah and like even the like the tendrils of steam right. coming off the water but galadriel says that i i perceive the dark lord and know his mind or all of his mind that conserves the elves and he gropes ever to see me and my thought but still the door is closed well, maybe he can see through that portal, but he doesn't know where it is. Right. But I mean, if it's if it's not a Palantir and he knows what's up with Galadriel, he's like, ah, it's that, it's that elf witch again. You She's know? taunting me. <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting if that's why she took him down away from the trees, like to an undisclosed location. 
left. And oh, yeah. Sauron can't figure out where they are because he can't see the trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is assuming her magic isn't keeping him out entirely, but that's kind of an interesting idea of like, I mean, I assume she took him down there to get him away from anyone overhearing them, but it's a yeah, little... But she can... They, the overhearing them thing, though, is like she can speak telepathically. Yeah, that's true. Overseeing uh, them or something, yeah. Them. But I, I like the idea that because the Ring of Power is present, that maybe because this thing is a is a magic of vision, that Sauron can perceive the ring through it. Because the ring is trying to actively use this power to find Sauron. I always just assumed that because... Um, because it's not just an illusion, because the water is physically affected. Right. I think because um, she, Galadriel's also a ring bearer, that she, like her ring is what is protecting them. Yeah. Like they negate, well not negate each other, but they kind of protect each each other from themselves if that makes any sense i i mean maybe but like the the idea of the elven rings uh the way it's described in the silmarillion is that they don't use the power of the rings in places or in ways that are perceivable by sauron Mm. so the idea of their powers rubbing up against each other doesn't work okay because if they kind of rubbed up against each other sauron would be like (laughs) give me that yeah that's mine okay I don't know. I just assume because they make a big deal in the extended edition about how she also has a ring. Yeah. It's not even a big deal. It's like a really right. it's a quick it's moment. It's like, hey, check out my bling. But <laughs> but I, I think just the fact that like the ring physically pulls towards it mm-hmm. implies that it's more than just an illusion, at least in that last moment. Yeah. Because he's being like physically drawn towards the eye. Like regardless of what how Galadriel kind of plays it off with him. Is that really the truth? I don't know. She observes this in a really interesting sidelong kind of way, like, huh. Like, she doesn't seem terribly alarmed, but I think she's also interested that he is, in fact, literally pulled towards it. Like, mm-hmm. how how strong is he? Can he withstand temptation? Is he going to be able to do this? But I think there's also some looking at screen caps. I think there's also some sympathy yeah. in that look. Acting. Acting. <laughs> and I think that sympathy so comes to light um, next minute, too, when she kind of explains what's going on. What's going on. Yeah. yeah. She's toying with him, and then she's just like, Well, you've proved yourself to me. Right. Because she, uh, she says in the next minute, she says that she knows what he saw. Yeah. Which I think lends to the idea that, like, if she knows what he saw, either she can feel it because it's a presence separate from the mirror, or she just knows what a ring bearer would see. Mm-hmm. And either of those readings are kind of scary. <laughs> There's a moment where she specifically closes her eyes, and I don't know if she saw what happened before that point. But I think she's definitely tuning in at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she's just like on the same brainwave because she has like mind reading powers. Right. So she could know what she, he saw because she's like watching it with him in his brain. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very interesting moment. The Mirror of Galadriel is a really interesting object mm-hmm. in this movie 
and in the book, but seeing it on screen and the way that these two actors play with it, just, I find it really fascinating because there's a lot of questions about how it works and what it is that are, are never really answered. This is not a clearly delineated magic system in these books. Right. And I don't, I, I guess I've always thought of it as being really similar to the Palantir because they're both like objects of divination. They're both Well, the Palantirs were created objects. by the elves too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense. The, uh, I think the Palantirs, I might be wrong because it's been a while since I read about them, but I think the Palantirs were made by Fanor. And have been passed down since that time. Hmm. I have read the Silmarillion, but it was a really long time ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I'm. That sounds legit. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that they were made around the same time as the Silmarils. I don't. That know does sound if, about right. Because. Because no one now can replicate it. Right. Because there's a there's a point where she's inviting Sam and Frodo to look into the mirror in the book. And she says, for this is what your folk would call magic, I believe, though I don't understand clearly what they mean. And they seem to use the same word of the deceits of the enemy. But this, if you will, is the magic of Galadriel. So I think that this is something that she, in her, like, old elf whatever power yeah. like has created for herself. I mean, because she's like the queen of the elves. Like, she's right. the top-tier elf in Middle-earth right now. Yeah. She's number one. Right. And she's been around for thousands Since the first of age. years. Yeah. yeah. So... And she seems to be specifically associated with water, and Nenya being the ring of water, and I mean, I don't know to what extent the mirror is tied to the power of that ring, or just that she right. is associated with water in addition to that. Yeah. Well, if the uh if the water of the mirror is tied to the power of her ring, then that makes it even more likely to me that it, when this power is being used because the ring of power is nearby, that Sauron can kind of jack in. Just like pirate radio or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Cuz a ring of power is being used and the ring of power is nearby. Yeah. And Sauron is just like, oh, hey, Though what do I got here? Nenya, it says, Nenya is the ring of adamant. What does adamant mean? Adamant is diamond. A-D-A-M-A-N-T. Yeah. Adamant huh. or adamantine, adamantine is okay. how it's spelled sometimes. Yeah, diamond. Yeah. Huh. Adamant is diamond, which to me is confusing because the ring of water is diamond and the ring of air is sapphire. Right. And we see this Elrond is... use water magic, but we never really see him use air magic. This bothers me. Yeah. It genuinely does. <laughs> it bo it's always bothered me, like the way that the books read and the way that the the way that it all plays out. It seems more like Elrond is the elf with the water ring of power. Yeah, I don't know. I have an eight dollar replica of this ring. Okay, from like the height of the merchandising when the first nice. movie came out, it's got a little light up case. I've always wanted to get like an actual sterling silver replica type, but but yeah, I'm real into her ring, and I like it. And I don't want them to change it, but I don't understand the diamond versus sapphire versus water versus air thing. I've never understood right. that because I imagine diamond being air. 
Like if you're going to have diamond, ruby, sapphire, and it's water, air, and, <laughs> and fire, air should be crystal clear. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's like maybe because diamond is so or if like ref- like or if it's many... water, why isn't it pearl? <laughs> then you have the blue sky, and then you have a pearl from the sea, and then you have fire. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know. I can buy That's blue sky. Yeah, <laughs> I can right? buy it. Like no, we can fan wank this. We can we can lampshade this till it works. We can do this. Water is clear. The water in the bowl is clear. <laughs> And all I could think of a minute ago was, and everything changed the day the Fire Nation attacked. Right. <laughs> right. So speaking of the fire and all that too, Hobbiton was designed to be burned down from the beginning. What? When they built it, they designed it so they could burn it down. No. So that they could do this and also remove it in a way that they could use for the movie. Oh. <laughs> That's so sad. They spent like two years cultivating this place. And it was to designed to be safely burned down. Oh my god. I don't think I realized they really burned it. I've listened to these commentaries and I did not realize this. Yeah, they, they mentioned that it was designed to burn. No. That's really but... depressing on multiple levels. <laughs> they, they kept in mind that they could burn it down safely when they were building it. Somebody didn't take Hobbit movies into consideration there. Somebody really messed up. <laughs> I know. That's literally burning bridges. Like, yeah. literally. <laughs> like, well, I guess we gotta go back now. <laughs> All right. right. Well, you know, can you, I just try to imagine how different all the sets would have looked if uh, Guillermo del Toro had made, like, had actually gone through with making all the Hobbit movies and made them first. Like, how different the Hobbiton set would have looked if he wasn't also oh, trying to, like, follow along with mm-hmm. the Peter Jackson movies. If they just let Guillermo del Toro make whatever he wanted for Hobbit movies, however he wanted them to look. Like, how much different they would look from these Peter like Jackson That's like an alternate ones. reality, and it's messing me up really bad right now. <laughs> right? I love Crimson Peak, but I'm not sure I would be ready for, like, Crimson Hobbiton. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared for this. Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm convinced that, like, Guillermo del Toro can't make anything whimsical that isn't also threatening. I mean, I does primarily horror movies. Yeah. I mean, like, Pan's Labyrinth is him, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't like that movie, but, like, that's that's what I'm talking about. I don't think he can make anything whimsical that's not also threatening. Yeah. I would be okay with him doing the threatening parts of the movies, but mm-hmm. right. the the goblin mountains and Mordor or anything. But I I have a hard time. I say this as somebody who actually would like to live in the Crimson Peak house. I can't imagine him <laughs> making a Hobbiton that would be the least bit, you know, sunny and idyllic and right and inviting. It's terrifying. <laughs> the seamy underside of Hobbiton. I I'm not <laughs> ready for that. Yeah, man. Huh. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to imagine what those movies would have been like if they if Gamma del Toro actually did like really make them and was told, yeah, do whatever you want, buddy. <laughs> Cause like he's one of those he's one of those directors that I feel like a lot of studios are just like, Yeah, you can do whatever you want, it's fine. I mean, isn't that how he made Pacific Rim? Yeah. You, you do you, man. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no point in hiring him if he doesn't do him. Right. You could hire anybody to just crank it out. I mean, there's no point if you don't. But I think that wraps up this minute. We have more to talk about tomorrow. Yeah, we've got a little more to talk about tomorrow. 
Oh, Galadriel. Oh, Galadriel, indeed. <laughs> so, thank you for joining us again today, Cleolinda. It's very exciting. I'm excited for the next couple. This is going to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, also on DuelingGenre.com, along with our minute, our Movies by Minute podcast, you can find Back to the Future Minute and Harry Potter Minute. And Spider-Man Minute. And Spider-Man Minute. It just started. Uh, and as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Leaper182 and Ed Foster. Hope everyone has a great Wednesday, and we'll see you all again tomorrow. Bye!